Hi there, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. Do you have a homestead, farm, or just dream of a rural life? This is a show to help you and your kids grow your own food and grow as a person. I'm your host, Cody Hanner. I'm a homesteader, homeschool mama six, and small town enthusiast. I was raised by an old school rancher and blessed by the grace of God to have been exposed to so much of what rural life has to offer. Join me every week to talk about homesteading, homeschooling, and growth with a homestead education. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. I'm here today with Derek Josie from, I think it's TDH Honest Farming now? or TDF. TDF Honest Farming, but I originally knew him as the Tillamook Dairy Farmer. So thank you for coming on today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So do you want to tell, like, introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit. Oh, the elevator speech. I always call it that because it's like you're in an elevator with somebody for the minute going somewhere. In that time, you have to introduce yourself. So my name is Derek Josie, and I am a fourth generation dairy farmer in Tillamook, Oregon. We raise Jersey cows, which are the best type of dairy cow. They have the highest butter fat and protein. We just built brand new facilities which took me from small family farm to still small family farm, but one of those evil factory farms, according to people. Your carousel is really cool. It's so mesmerizing. I could stand and watch that all day and not ever the cows. Anyway, we'll get into that. Right. Um, Yeah. So when we're at capacity, we will be milking right at a thousand cows, which seems like a lot. It does. It'll make me, I think, the third largest farm in the Tillamook area. But as far as farms go, I've been on dairies that are milking 30, 40,000 cows and phenomenal facilities. Mm-hmm. So in the grand scheme of things, I'm a small dairy. <laughs> right. Yeah. I spent a summer in Pennsylvania living on dairy farms as part of my 4-H exchange in high school. Oh, nice. I, I was like, that was a great experience. I never want to be a dairy farmer. <laughs> that's and, not as bad as a, you would think no it's not it just wasn't my thing I had always grown up on a cattle ranch so we were all beef I didn't want to do dairy mm-hmm. and like as soon as we bought our bigger piece of property in Idaho my husband goes we should get dairy cows and I was like no no <laughs> we have six now so you have six dairy cows <laughs> yeah, six dairy cows yeah jerseys right one oh. of them is one half okay jersey. half jersey <laughs> She's Jersey Dexter and I love her to death. My daughter shows her and stuff. So. Oh, nice. And then we had a couple of jerseys and then one of them died and we ended up getting some brown Swiss. We just kind of whatever mm. works best for our family at the time. Yeah. So. Makes sense. Yeah. We're, we're raw dairy. So. Mm. Well, I grew up drinking raw dairy. I have nothing against raw dairy. As long as you understand that you are, it's your body, your choice mm-hmm. and know the risks. Yeah. That's. That's my stance. You know what? I worked in food safety for 10 years. So I thought raw dairy was the devil. Mm. Then you and, tried it. Yeah. I even <laughs> and you're like, in- this is so good. It must be the devil. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. I was actually pregnant when we got our first cow. So I was like, oh. okay, well, I'm going to, I pasteurized everything. I, I just mm-hmm. the low tech pasteurization, but right. I was like, I am t- pasteurizing everything. And now I, we're not having any more kids, but I think even if I got pregnant again, I would still drink it because- I just know, I know so much more about it now and I know my own ability to keep it clean. So, Mm -hmm. well, and I think a lot of people miss, uh, misinterpret pasteurization and, uh, oh my gosh, brain fart. (laughs) It'll come to me later. 
the homogenous Jason. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Because everybody thinks that it, you know, pasteurization is what destroys the taste. And I honestly think it's homogenization where they break up the fat particles that take away yeah. the taste. Which when I do um even the low temp pasteurization, hi sweetie. We are all about the kids. So <laughs> yeah. She's up in the office with me. Uh, just started milking and she's, she likes it because she knows she gets to watch YouTube if she's in the office and I have a meeting. So, Oh, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I have I my old is like, mom has a podcast and everybody else is going to town. He's like, I'll, I'll wait at home. I'll be good. Cause he knows <laughs> he's play on his tablet. <laughs> exactly. Minecraft. It, she is so into Minecraft right now. Oh man. But yeah. So I would, when I, uh, low temp pasteurize, I still have a beautiful cream line. So yeah. Yep. And there's a lot of littler dairies that are, instead of having to deal with the commodity prices and all that stuff are bottling their own milk, but Mm -hmm. they don't want to run the risk of raw milk. So they're doing the old style pasteurization, low temperature, and you still get the cream line. You still get Mm -hmm. cream line milk and it is phenomenal. If, Mm -hmm. If I was close to a major metropolitan, I would be doing that because the I, money is insane. Insane. Yeah. You yeah. would make a lot of money doing like, it that way. So we are getting back into selling our milk. It's kind of my son's project there. It's his raw herd dairy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's ours, but it's his, he's 14, you know? So, but he helps out at a farm down the road and they sell for like $20 a gallon. Yeah. Yeah. And we're right on the Canadian border where, I mean, literally like a thousand feet from border patrol (laughs) and raw milk is illegal in Canada, but they can bring raw milk back over the border with them. Oh, so I'm like, there's my niche market. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I live in the middle of nowhere. I'm 45 minutes from the closest town in America. I'm like five minutes from the closest town in Canada. So. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I just (laughs) watched my wife and my two-year-old wandering on the security feed they they're outside um it's distracting me family farming i get it i have windows in my office and i watch my kids play in the backyard so yeah so so that's my theory on raw milk drink it if you want yeah i grew up on it uh i'm not gonna say that i might not have gotten some diarrhea at some point but you know what I hardly ever get sick now. So right. We we call it immunities. Like I actually went to my doctor the other day and you know, very small town doctor. And he has toddler twins and I have 14-year-old twins. So he always asks me advice on just keeping them in line, you know. Yeah. And um he's like, Yeah, I caught him out back eating deer turds the other day. And I was like, build immunities, <laughs> like you're awesome. <laughs> right. Eh, they thought it tasted good right kids do weird things i have a three-year-old that eats everything so yeah yeah i have a five-year-old that won't eat anything so you know there's that too (laughs) yeah yeah i had uh somebody here today who cooked lunch for the kids she's like will they eat frozen burritos and i was like they'll eat it about as good as everything else they'll take one lick and leave it there you know (laughs) come here dylan you want to say hi too hi honey Okay, daddy's going to be a farmer his... like daddy. Are you going to be a farmer like daddy? Oh. <laughs> Smart girl. Smart girl. <laughs> Love it. 
It's all good, babe. <laughs> well, now the whole family's up here with me. I like it. I like I said, we we do the same thing. I actually a lot of times you, you see a door behind me. I have a lock on the outside because my three year old likes to come in and say hi. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's why we built the office. There's a kids' play area for the girls. It it's designed so while I'm working and I'm up here, they can be here. It's the whole point is that's the dream. so that they can be here. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your operation. I mean, you said that you recently went from family farm to, you know, evil factory farmer. Yeah. I don't necessarily see it that way, but tell us about it a little bit. So, okay. Yeah. Originally my great grandpa bought the original 60 acres in 1918. So That's we amazing. have been dairying for 105 years this year. Um, slowly over the years we've expanded um we originally the facilities were down in a floodplain and we'd flood every year multiple times because Tilma mm. gets a hundred inches of rain a year yeah so so i've been working towards this goal for over 10 years uh we bought we had a nice property that we had purchased in 2006 that was out of the floodplain and so i've been strategically starting to move things up and I finally, in 2020, uh, bit the bullet, talked my banker into believing it was a good idea, and we built brand new facilities from the ground up. All new freestalls, all new parlor, all new everything. Um, I'm sure everybody's seen the commercial where the guy's talking about all the stuff that he has, all the houses, and then he goes, and I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. <laughs> That's my, my kids are on $30,000 in credit card debt. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's, uh, that's how it feels. Uh, but we're up and operational. And I think know, that's how a lot of farmers feel. So yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, one of the reasons we did it is because I could see the handwriting on the wall. If I didn't do something, my kids wouldn't have the option to come home because mm -hmm. the original facilities you know, some of those barns were 30, 40 years old. They were out, yeah. out. They were at the end of their useful life. And I could not see investing the kind of money that I would need to down there just to have to deal with the flooding and all that for another hundred years. Yeah. Now, yeah. now uh, this family farm should, if the next generations want to, be able to make it another hundred years. That's great. That should be something you can be proud of. It is. And I'm, I'm happy. And, and if nobody wants to, I either have nieces and nephews that want to, or my parent, my dad had seven, six brothers and sisters. I'm sure there is a distant relative somewhere that will want to dairy farm. <laughs> hey, hey, babe, can you see what my dad wants? <laughs> Oh, no worries. That's why we record it. <laughs> yeah. So we can edit. Um, yep. So, yeah, it's um, it's nice. It's given me more free time to be able to do stuff like this. I uh, have a little more leeway in having family time. Um, and in the future, it, it should be even nicer. And, you know, at 65, if nobody's ready to take over. I have facilities that somebody else will gladly come in and purchase and I can go see the world like 
we've wanted to do. But, Anything yeah. important, babe? No. <laughs> oh, funny. Multi-generational farm. Oh, Dad, yeah. Dad tried calling and it wasn't anything important. So he said he was going to text me later. <laughs> Good deal. Um, yeah, no, that's amazing that you've been able to build something up that, like you said, either you can retire or yeah. your kids can take over or it can be sold and be a retirement and, you know, a legacy for your kids. So, yep. and, and I think that's, that's, the, that's the goal. Yeah. And that's the the cycle that so many farmers see right now is that they just, you know, put money in and they're kind of like circling so that you were able to upgrade. That's just awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <clears throat> you kind of started your platform a few years back um, to educate about what the family farm actually looks like. What yeah. have you been able to get to people like glean from that? Well, I started in 2016, and as of today, I am right at a million followers on Facebook, Wow! almost 100,000 on Instagram. Those are my two main ones. I, YouTube is, if you're filming for Facebook, you can't film for YouTube at the same time, different, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> you, you kind of have to do one or the other. Um, I found that there is just a hunger to learn about farming and understand it better and get I, I hate to say the word news but get your their your news if you're not a farmer about farming from somebody that's actually doing it because mm-hmm. it cuts through all the haze and the fog and lets people see because I post every day I'm showing multiple things that happen during the day and I don't I don't sugarcoat it. I show cows that are down with milk fever, me rolling them to get them up. Uh, I show everything except for I haven't shown me euthanizing a cow because honestly, I just don't want to be kicked off the social media platforms. And right, I think- no, and I get it. You know, although I actually, and there's a difference, but I, someone I follow on Instagram recently did a whole video on um you know slaughter and butcher of a bison and i was like that's really awesome but when you're amazing because they're down and sick that's a different story as well but i think it's important for people to see that that happens and that you know we have compassion we're dealing with it in i say we i'm not in a farm your size but i've worked in the ag industry my whole life um that as farmers we we care about the animals we handle it properly and sometimes these things just happen if you have a cow go down with milk fever it isn't because you weren't caring for your animal. Right. It, it literally can happen like that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a simple fix. I mean, you just give them an IV of calcium and 95% of the time within 10 minutes, they're getting back up. So, you know, yeah. it's people need to know that. Mm-hmm. So and, that maybe, know, maybe they won't believe the propaganda and the BS that gets put out online. Right. And there's, there's so much of it. Well, and even somebody on my end, like, you know, the small scale farmer, the homestead space where supposedly we're the ones that are, I say supposedly, but you know, that we care more about the animals or something. I, I don't, that's not necessarily the case, but that's the thought process out there. Right. We lost a cow this week. I am devastated and I have no clue what happened to her. Not a clue. Like yeah. she was fine. Uh, she was only eight years old. And for a, 
you know, a small farm cow, that's super young. Um, did you lose me? I lost you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Huh. Can you hear me now? Yes. All right. Uh, so I don't know if it was something on your end or if I me pulling it out and putting it back in fixed it. I don't know. I didn't do anything. So I was, oh, it must have been me then. But uh, yeah. So yeah, I have no clue what happened to her. She was up eating. She was only eight years old, which is incredibly young for a small scale farm. Yeah. For a homestead you know, farm. Yeah, yeah. We aren't pushing her to her limits. Um, we've had her for three years. Um I mean, she was up eating. It was a hot day, but mm-hmm. we went out huckleberry picking and came home and she was dead. Like, no, yeah. the only thing I can figure is it was really hot. And she went into the barn where we had had some pigs in the barn last year and they dug out um, a hole. And I think she laid down in the hole because it was mm. cool in there and couldn't get back up. Yeah. That's the only thing I can figure. And if they get laying wrong, it, yeah, yep. You're mm-hmm. probably right. That's probably exactly what happened. Yeah, that's the only thing I can figure. And I'm just, I mean, what a dumb way to lose an expensive animal that on a homestead farm, they're like a member of the family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, uh, anybody that's followed my page knows uh, who Callie Girl is. Uh, she's been a, She's on one of my shirts. She's just (laughs) been one of those. She went up to the um, Coast Guard station for a Christmas photo. I hauled her up there, brought her back. Funny. (laughs) Yeah, uh, she's just and she uh, she was, I think, nine years old and she just started going downhill. And I finally had to make the hard decision to euthanize Mm. her. Yeah. And so, you know, usually I don't. But I had I had to tell my fan base or my mm-hmm. followers about me euthanizing her because I think there's probably a hundred thousand people that have fallen in love with this cow. And so, you know, want to know what happens to her. Yeah. 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 So, and, and the fact that I've shown who she is so often, it, it's kind of something that I had to do. I had to let them know that There'd be no more videos with me and Callie. I mean, there's videos of me trying to put a Christmas uh, Santa hat on her. There's all this stuff. Yeah. And I think be doing that anymore. That's blue for us. That's the daughter of the cow we've lost. And she's a two-year-old. She's still a heifer. We, and we had some stuff going on this winter where we couldn't get her bread. So we're going to get her bread after fair this year. Um, My son shows her. He showed her been grand champion with her the last three years She's in all of our like photos. She's on my podcast art. Like she is yeah. literally like they the little kids can work with her. And so yeah, we're we're always like every time I don't see her, I'm like, where's Blue? Somebody go up to the barn and check on Blue. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I get it. It's so that not- just that just shows that even on a thousand cow dairy. Mm-hmm. There's going to be those favorites that the farmers and the employees, I have employees that have favorite cows. So oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, they're like it, your coworkers. You're working yeah. with them all day long, you know, realistically they're our bosses because they do pay the bills. So, 
<laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah. Um, although, you know, I guess you wouldn't show up to work and be like, sorry, we had to put down the receptionist yesterday. <laughs> yeah, we, we, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's different as farmers. Um, you know, I like I've, I was kind of leading up to before our conversation before we started recording that, you know, I worked in the ag field for a long time. Now I work with small scale farmers and homesteaders. And I'm even, I'm writing a book right now called Homestead History, which is a U.S. history based on food and ag sociology. Mm. But what I really like want to reach people and saying that we, there are times that we have a messed up system. I, I, you know, we didn't really talk about it beforehand, so I didn't want to just throw that at you, but the overall system is pretty messed up. Oh yeah. I, I sent out my email, my weekly email blast this week was about the dairy industry and milk prices. And I explained that our milk price is set by a group of monkeys in a room throwing darts at a board because nobody understands it. Nobody understands <laughs> how it's set and it just fluctuates. For no apparent yeah. reason sometimes. And so, yeah, there is definitely some things about the agricultural industry that are broken. And, right. And, you know, yeah. there's people like you that you're a family farmer. Like, I mean, we've explained this in the beginning, but you're also a large scale family farmer and mm-hmm. you're stuck in that system if you want to continue doing what your family loves and has done for generations. Yeah. There's also the people that are like, okay, we're done with the whole system completely and we're opting out and going to try to grow all of our own food and stuff. We personally, we do grow about 80% of our own food because of my husband has liver disease. So, you know, he, six years ago, he was told he had a year to live. Um, He had a biopsy in January and they went in and scoped his liver and said, I don't know what you're doing, but you did it right. Cause you're good. Oh, like, good job. Completely healed liver. They're like, we see a little bit of cirrhosis on the edges, but you know, so we made that choice to do all of it ourselves because mm-hmm. we had a driving force besides we're just frustrated with the system. Right. But I love being able to show that as farmers in general, that we're not the bad guy and we're not necessarily part of that system. We're stuck in the system, you know? Yeah. Um, You mentioned subsidies before. I don't think we've talked about that on the podcast yet. Would you like to give a quick rundown on that? Uh, Yeah. When you talk subsidies, uh, the vast majority of the money that is in the the ag bill and farm bill, sorry, is actually food and nutrition for low-income people. Yeah, um, like SNAP benefits. Yep. And then you have your subsidies for crop insurance, because if you didn't have subsidies, and I'm not saying we should, but if you didn't, crop insurance on crops wouldn't be affordable. So you, yeah, have, no. you would have cow, uh, cows, <laughs> farmers, that um, if they lost a crop to disease or weather or whatever, they would just have to eat the loss. So crop subsidies are something I, I can agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of different ways that we get subsidies. Uh, um, some of uh, the stuff like the, oh, what is it? 
conservancy programs where you're setting aside land mm -hmm. to protect wild or sensitive areas they, they will pay farmers not to farm mm -hmm. which i i don't disagree with leaving buffers along waterways and things of that nature mm -hmm. so if you're getting farmers to leave that buffer that they otherwise would have been putting into farmland which is helping streams and rivers and keeping runoff from getting in there creating algae blooms and all that probably not a bad thing for us as society to decide to do so hey you know i grew up in northern california where we lived in the rivers mm -hmm. and the pot industry has caused the algae bloom so bad that like dogs can't even swim in rivers because yeah. kill them so yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah well and i we live on the wilson river that i grew up swimming in mm -hmm. uh it is got a monitoring monitoring station that is i think it's weekly samples are taken and it has continually gotten cleaner for the last 20 years wonderful yeah and it is well, it's populated by dairy farmers like myself. So we must be doing something right. We have buffers, we have everything. And, you know, I want my kids, we go down to the river, they go swimming. We Nice. Yeah. I want the next generations to be able to do the same thing. So farmers, once again, are not the bad guy. We, we'd like to protect the environment we live in. We actually live in this environment. <laughs> right. <laughs> Unlike the ones that are making the policy that live on, you know, concrete playground. Yeah. I, I like to say that the large cities are human feedlots. Oh, yeah. I mean, they are. I know. Just it was such a vision. Like, I actually just got back from Texas and I was. I've spent time in Texas a few different times and there's some really beautiful places, but literally from Dallas to San Antonio, it is one big, just concrete everything. Yeah. I was so disappointed while I was there. We, Casey, my wife and I, we, we went to, we went to the Kentucky Derby two years ago mm -hmm. and we, we spent a night in Nashville and we were sitting on top of, is it old red, babe? Old red. Uh, the restaurant we were up on the top uh -huh. level and we're just watching downtown Nashville and I'm thinking to myself yeah but it's cows that are destroying the environment not <laughs> this this thing that we are looking at yeah so, I yeah. know like they were in Texas they were literally taking out whole hillsides to put in like ranchette housing developments and you know like when you're driving through a rural area and you come up to like an intersection and there's the signs that tell you like winery this way and mm -hmm. county fair this way or whatever they would have signs like that pointing you to the different housing projects <laughs> it was horrible yeah I, I was just blown away like i was so i i was so excited to take my kids with us to texas because i'm like i visited here when i was a kid and it's really beautiful and we get to see some cool stuff and all they saw was freeways and even mm -hmm. when we tried to find something other than freeways we couldn't yeah it's sad it really is i it's um super disappointing that that's kind of what's happening and then like you said we're they say that you know farmers or cows are the problem like i don't even know how they equate that when i mean so many dairy farms have i forget the name of the system 
where you're like collecting all the methane and oh digesters yeah my my son he's obsessed with that stuff but i didn't even take a course in college so (laughs) yeah so (laughs) that that was only a couple years after my summer in pennsylvania so i was still a little like nope mm -mm." not going yeah. yeah yeah the whole methane from dairy cattle thing is so overblown because anybody that understands the biocarbon is that the right term biogenic carbon cycle mm-hmm. understands that every 10 to 12 years the methane that goes up from cows is recycled back down back into the plants that the cows eat and then it gets sent back up so there is no such thing as warming due to cattle mm-hmm. if you want to talk about the potential warming the one thing that taking methane out can do is mitigate human sourced uh climate activities because you're able to pull more of the methane out which is something like 28 times stronger than so so you can you can help mitigate things but that's not the overall problem yeah it's not the overall problem so we we can help but we aren't the problem and i'm tired of you know being told that it's cows that are the problem, like Ireland deciding they're going to get rid of 200,000 cows. That's just disturbing. It's it's the most disturbing thing that I've heard in a long time. Well, it's, maybe second to the lab-grown meat. Oh, well, yeah, that's cool. Uh, and the, the lab-grown milk, too, that's coming out. Are they? That is, I just, it turns my stomach to even think about it. And then, like, there's even a, they're saying it's more efficient, but there's a study out by UC Davis that says it's like, what, 25 times less efficient? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you say UC Davis is like an authority on this conversation mm-hmm. or should well, be? Not, not only that, but they don't talk about the other byproducts from making it. Where does all of that junk go? Because just because you're growing it in a lab, you still have stuff that you're getting rid of. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't grow in a vacuum. There is refuse and byproduct that has to be thrown away. Yeah. It's... What are we doing with that? Yeah. And then they don't even have to label it as lab grown. I think they might have to now. Or okay. have they not decided that yet? I think last I was saying is because it's, or I was seeing because it's still considered like chicken or whatever that they yeah. don't have to label it. And I was like, no, that that's where I draw. You know, you want to push more people into homesteading and uh, buying direct from farmers. That's the way to do it. That is the easiest way. And that's the thing is they're trying to stop that. I don't know why they want to stop that so bad, but they are. I mean, the new farm bill has a whole bunch of things on there, like putting a stop on herd shares and. Oh, see, that's that's dumb. Yeah. Yeah, I I was looking at it earlier. I was just like, I can't even read some of it because it's just well, but, it's what um, eight eight thousand pages probably. Yeah, it was it was a synopsis of it written by mm-hmm. oh okay. Um, it was Senator somebody Massey. that gets somebody that gets paid to actually have to read it. Yeah, so Senator Massey had done a synopsis of it, which I've actually heard him speak before at the Rogue Food Conference. So yeah, he's he's one of the few good ones. Yeah. And so I felt like, okay, this is something I can 
get behind or believe, you know, because I you mm-hmm. still don't know what to believe half the time. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was just like, what in the world is happening? And everything that I feel like they're doing to like kind of put a stop to people opting out is just making people want to opt out harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so here's a great one for you. Uh-huh. Totally. I mean, green energy thing. I looked into putting solar panels on these big new barn roofs I have uh-huh. because I thought, why not? Let's take a look at it. So the rule states that up to 25 kW, I can use that energy for my own use. Any system over that, which the system I wanted to put in was like 350 kW. Uh-huh. More than my dairy, it, it pow- could power my dairy three times over Mm -hmm. i'm not allowed to use that directly on my farm it has to be sold to the power company at wholesale cost and then i have to buy it back at retail Uh, yeah i don't even have words for that (laughs) they explain that to me i go what (laughs) how does that even make sense well it's a state law it doesn't matter if it's no the state sense. law. Who made that law? Yeah. I you can know, tell you who. The, the power lobby that wanted to make <laughs> sure that you couldn't become self-sustaining. Right. And there's, there's unfortunately some really strange stuff happening in Oregon right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we were kind of like, well, we're really happy we moved from Oregon to Idaho when we did. But uh, we, I mean, we lived in Lapine, which. Which was, we, was trying to become Idaho. Yeah. So, so was North Northern California where I lived there. Too. Yeah. I was on the committee for the state of Jefferson down there. Yeah, I was so just like, going to say what well, they're trying to become the state of Jefferson. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's just that people are like, we're done. Like we need some changes to be able to have some say in what's mm-hmm. happening to us. I mean, when we were in Lapine, like that's such a small community. And then like Bend was just like coming in fast and we're like, we're done. Mm-hmm. We live now a hundred miles from the closest city so we're hoping it takes a minute to get to us (laughs) yeah hopefully Hopefully. um so yeah love that we can you know edit this because sometimes (laughs) it shuts down too (laughs) um make a note where it needs to be edited um (laughs) So, yeah, um, kind of circling back to some of those commodities, actually, because I mm-hmm. have another question on those. So there's this other set of commodities that it's basically the government pays a certain price for crops. And then um, yeah can, I, can you kind of do you have any more input so i that? think you're probably talking about price floors yeah so there is some subsidies that kick in if the commodity price gets to a certain level and i believe milk used to have something like that but the government has gotten has been trying to get away from that so okay. they've actually helped set up insurance programs and things like that where they help subsidize the insurance that if milk prices hit a floor of a certain price, you start getting a little bit of insurance, if that's what you want to call it, um, to keep you from going below that price. And it it factors in 
the the new ones factor in feed cost and things like that. So if for some reason, like this last year, hay and grain and everything goes sky high, your floor price actually floats with the feed costs. Okay. So, so it makes it more realistic. And, and it's one of the things that I, I think they did a good job on because it's not just like, you know, feed costs are way down here. So, but the milk price is here and it hit the floor, but you're still making money because your costs to produce or feed the cows is so much lower, but you hit that floor. So then you're getting a subsidy on top of your milk price. No, since it floats now, you're, you're, you'll, you'll still see if milk prices are a little higher, but if feed costs have gotten out of control, it kicks in. And they do that because they don't, well, they want to have a pretty steady milk supply and or corn or soybeans or any of the major commodities. They don't want major supply disruptions because they've played that game before. And that's a feast or famine kind of situation. You have a bunch of farms go bankrupt. All of a sudden, it, you've got the market doing this and it's not... It's not good for anybody. No. That's how no. you lose a lot of small family farms. Yeah. I mean, I think something like that happened in the 70s and they lost like 30 or 40% of family farms or mm-hmm. something like that. That's also what happened that caused the dust bowls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because all of a sudden you had all this ground that the crops weren't worth anything. So they didn't get anything planted. Dust storms pick up and the dust bowl happens. Yeah. I mean, I I was been doing some reading on that recently and it's just mind blowing, like the systems that were set up that messed that up. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, that's kind of where my book comes in is they always say like, if you repeat history or you like, if you know history, you won't repeat history, but then they teach us history in schools and they're only teaching us the government and military parts of it and not like the sociological part of it or the food that's like our most driving force. Yeah. When like, you know, things like our soil, like how many famines have happened strictly due to poor soil management? Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's been happening since day one with the Sumerians or something, like had their first famine because of soil issues. Like you think somewhere along the line somebody would have figured this out. Would have figured it out. But <laughs> We're not that bright as a species sometimes. We're not. And that's where I go, okay, maybe we should start teaching our kids that. Right. That would be, that would make way too much sense. Right. Well, I have that opportunity of being able to teach all the homeschool kids that are getting pulled out right now. Yeah. And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of homeschool programs right now. There are. It's insane. The influx that have been seen. I think it went from like 1 million homeschooled kids a few years ago to like 7 million now or something i mm-hmm. i'm always bad with those types of numbers and but i know it was a big <laughs> influx like that well and there's a lot more um uh, what is it called bills going into effect or trying to get past where the money instead of it follows the child wherever which mm-hmm. i am a huge supporter of I mean, if you're going to, if the state's going to spend like in Oregon, I think it's 11,000 per child per year. 
that money should just be tied to that individual kid and then the parents can if their schools are failing their children should be able to move them to a private school and have that money to teach them or if they are going to homeschool their children they should be able to still get that money that so that they can offset somebody teaching their children i think yeah. i think if we're going to spend money it should be tied to the child, not to the school district. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's, they're realizing that they need to do it that way because so many people are pulling out um, from public schools at this point that that money is going to schools and nobody's there to receive it. And eventually people are going to be like, this doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. But yeah, I, we used a charter school program when we were in Oregon where we got $1,600 a year per kid to spend on whatever curriculum we wanted. Mm-hmm. we homeschooled them and like one day a week they went in and checked in with a teacher <laughs> versus um like in idaho there's a program where people sign up and they get a certain amount of money they can just spend on curriculum as homeschoolers and i sell to those programs a lot that's good idaho's getting their stuff together some of the things with Idaho, though, it's like, you're like, they're a little backwards. And then at the same time, you're like, and nobody tells us what to do. So right. keep doing that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think our homeschool law here is you should teach your kids the core subjects. That's the law, the whole law. You don't have to tell anyone you're pulling your kids out. You don't have to prove to anyone what you're teaching them. For some people, that's great. For some people, it's not. And yeah. You know, like us, for example, you know, I'm pretty militant on like, you know, my junior hires, they're taking algebra and, you know, they're getting all the classes that they need. But at the same time, we've had a really busy season where we've taken a few months off of school and that's okay too. Yeah. Well, wasn't that originally why we had summer break is because the kids were needed to mm -hmm. work at it's, home on the We farm. call it the agrarian calendar. And I actually, we don't do school in spring and we don't do it in the fall because that's um planting and harvest and hunting season there you go we do school over the summer because when it's 100 degrees out who wants to be outside anyways so right we I get don't. up early and we do the farm chores while it's cool and then we come inside and we do our lessons mm -hmm. and that's what works for us so it's one of those things so um I'm, we're kind of at a place um, in all of my episodes where I ask my guests, what does keep growing mean to them? Fair enough. So to me, keep growing. That means even at 40 years old, like myself, you need to be growing as a person, learning new things. I learned about asparagus today. I learned that if you don't harvest asparagus, it actually grows to about four feet tall and looks like a little fern plant. Oh, wow. If, yeah, see, now you see, learn something, something too. too. <laughs> yeah. And the reason they have to do that is so that when they start harvesting again in the spring, it has the root system to be able to be those spears be plucked over and over again without killing the asparagus plant. So they have to let wow. it grow so that it can grow the root system back. That's so, really interesting always learning something, always trying new things. I want to still be learning, doing things well into my retirement because I, as I have a firm believer that if you're not learning and growing, 
you're going the other way. I believe it too. You know, we, we talk a lot about, um, the guys who retire, like from fire departments or from farming and those types of things that when they stop moving, when they stop growing and learning and having something to do, that's when they go downhill. And I think that that's really important to just keep striving for that. Yeah. You, they go downhill fast Mm -hmm. unless they find their local old fart coffee hangout and then they tend to do just fine. Yeah. Yeah. they They have their group where they can talk about things. I was going to say like for lack of better word, they can go somewhere to bitch about everything. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I actually, I had a podcast earlier today that um, I was, we were talking about like, you know, just brainstorming, like, you know, self-sufficient life, like moms, how we like handle it all. And I said, you know, I, we always run out of salt for our water softener and we live, you know, 45 minutes from town. So then I'm having to hand wash everything because it's coming out of the dishwasher white. Mm. And the gal goes, why don't you just always buy twice as much as you need? It's just like, there's that. <laughs> you know, I mean, we do it with our animal feed. We do it with, you know, every, all of our supplies for the house. And I just never thought to do it with the salt. We just wait till it ran out and we buy more. And you know, I think it's just some of those really basic things where I was like so excited. Like I wrote it down on my notes because like, it just like, so that I'd remember to, I was actually going to set it up for a subscription. So it just comes to the house. Yeah. And I'm like, I do that with everything else. Why have I not done it with the salt yet? And I think it's because I consider it my husband's job. Like it, it falls under his category of things that he handles and it's kind of in the middle because like I handle the house stuff, he handles the farm stuff, but I do all the ordering for the farm. And somehow that one was right in the middle and it just never got into my radar. So, you know, something. Sometimes it takes an outside eye to come up with the obvious, like, uh, <laughs> why are you doing that? <laughs> right? And part of growing is being willing to go look, take a step back and go, yeah. Why, why are we, why, what, what are we not doing this? Why? Exactly. Well, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you? Yeah. You can find me at TDF honest farming on Instagram and Facebook, uh, at Derek Josie on Twitter and TDF honest And then and you can find an industry worth fighting for on Amazon. <laughs> Awesome. I have just started reading this. I'm excited. It just goes right along with everything that I'm teaching myself right now. So everybody go check out what Derek has to say. He has a lot of information and he's super entertaining. Oh, thank you. Have a good one. You too. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, please head over to your favorite podcast player and leave a comment and review. This helps me to know what you're enjoying and helps others find an episode that can help them. Thank you for joining me today at the Homestead Education, and I hope that I have given you something to think about this week. To help others find me, please comment and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also follow me on Facebook at the Homestead Education and Instagram at Homestead underscore education. Do you have questions that you would like answered or just want to say hi? Please email me at hello at the homesteadeducation.com. Until next time, keep growing!